passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Rewind the dynamite from the most recent sight. A-W, lighting up the fuse. Sit back and enjoy the bubbly. As we hear from John and Waiting. Where we're going, we don't need roads. And if the bug stops here, this thing might blow. Everything you hear, opinions of the show. And if you don't like it, go to the forums and let them know. Welcome to Rewind to Dynamite on April the 5th, 2023. I'm John Pollock, along with the pasta lover, Wei Ting. How's it going, John? It's hey. going great. Going fantastic. Wonderful. Well, that's great. How are you feeling? You recovered, recouped? What, how, what yes. Yes. I had a minor day off today. I was I was watching my daughter all day. So we, we hung out. We went to the park. Uh, and then it rained the rest of the day, but nonetheless, we had we had a good time. So I, I felt like I got uh, reset today. Good, good. I'm happy to hear that. Have you um, have you started training? Um, <laughs> somewhat, yes, somewhat. <laughs> I've realized this is creeping up very quickly. In a week and a half, Way and I are climbing the CN Tower steps. I was. A really good friend making just a kind donation, and somehow I got roped into this thing because of my donation. So I am now part of Team Ting, and I don't know what I've gotten myself into. I don't know what this day is going to shape up like for me. All I know is that uh, hours after I do this climb of 1,700 steps or somewhat, uh, I have to go back downtown for the TNA pay-per-view that night. God knows what kind of shape I'm going to be in for that rebellion show. I, I I think you'll be you know nice and calm. I mean you'll be seated. I don't imagine you'll be standing up to 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 review this show. Um, oh, if and, it's standing room only, if that's all they've uh, uh, provided, I'm I'm leaving. I'm going back home. What a, what a Toronto experience you're going to have that day. But um, I'm I'm certainly thankful you'll be joining me. Yeah, I this was something I've wanted to do for a long time is climb the CN Tower, and thankfully, um, uh, we you know a, a lot of you guys were um generous enough to support, and we had enough room on the team for another member and john pollock volunteered he's like hey i'd, I'd love to do this i, I was voluntold essentially it was the <laughs> the guilt was really laid on thick there it was like you know you you could be a team player and help us out or or not you could do that too so i felt compelled and uh way has uh, uh forced me into a much more uh, rigorous routine this the the past four weeks that i've been gearing up for this so the, we will the real, see we'll the see real wrestlemania is coming up well Yes, that's uh, this is how I'm using my my commercial breaks and such, and watching, watch watching everything. So we'll we'll see how how are you doing? I, the week like WrestleMania week has totally thrown me off of any any sort of like you know exercise routine. So I'm trying to ramp back up, and you know we'll see in about a week and a half. 
Well, we have a lot to get into tonight. There's uh, plenty of news that we'll be discussing, more fallout from the WWE sale, and then we will be getting into tonight's edition of Dynamite MJF Day from Long Island. We will also be taking your Super Chats feedback, uh, but off the top, I will let people know that we are going to be back on Thursday. It's a very special Thursday edition of Rewind Away, number 128, and way what is in your podcast feed that we will be discussing on Thursday night. CM Punk on the art of wrestling with Cole Cabana. 2014? Yes. Oh my God. Wow. Almost 10 years ago. Yeah. The most infamous podcast in the professional wrestling podcast space, I would say of all time. So a lot's happened since then. And yeah, we'll be looking back and we'll be talking all about it. We'll go through the whole interview. This was the first one that he did in uh, November of 2014. They did a follow-up the week later. We're going to be doing the first one. We will go through that. We will be looking back at it uh, in the context of today. The lawsuit that came out of this, uh, probably the most famous wrestling podcast interview ever. So that is uh, the selection of David Porges, our espresso executive producer. And if you too want to throw us a subject matter to cover on Rewind Away, you can join the Espresso tier where all the fun takes place uh, at postwrestlingcafe.com. So the show will be out Thursday evening for cafe members. $6 gets you in the door and gets you that, as it will, rewind to SmackDown. And Way and I, we have made our own Espresso executive decision. So live on Friday night, we will be coming at you at 10 p.m. Eastern time. Wait a minute, wait a minute, 10 p.m. Eastern Did I hear you right? You did hear us right. There was a four-hour block of wrestling on Friday night. I do not want to start this show at midnight. I do not know if you, the listeners, care for us to start at midnight Eastern on Friday night. So I don't know if this is going to be a permanent switch, but we're definitely doing it this week. We are going live at 10. Uh, Rampage will still be there. Battle of the Belts will still be there. If there's anything monumental on those shows, we will definitely uh, catch up at some point uh, if not by Monday uh, on the show, but we are going to go live. It's an hour earlier to get to calls, to uh, get to, you know, what will probably be a very noteworthy edition of SmackDown. So as soon as SmackDown ends, we will be live for all post wrestling cafe members. And I'm looking forward to it. I'm too. Um, I think it's, it's been like three weeks that, that we've for one, one reason or another haven't, checked out or reviewed rampage because it's either been on a saturday it's been you know several hours later or last week because of supercard of honor and um i haven't heard that much outcry from people so is it even the show that's all that relevant to you guys or would you rather you know we just simply start certainly this week you know with the two-hour block and coming off of wrestlemania weekend i'm i'm happy to cut ourselves some slack and to cover focus a focus on smackdown so that will be on on Friday. And then while we're at it, we'll just uh, mention the rest of the shows this weekend. Also, for cafe members, you're getting three cafe shows in consecutive days because Saturday, Karen Peterson and Bruce Lord, the dream team, coming together for the Sakura Genesis post show. And during the news pack, we'll go through the lineup. It's a very loaded card from New Japan Pro Wrestling on Sunday. Myself and Eric Marcotte, we are going to be going live uh, early that morning, 11 a.m. Eastern with the UFC 287 post show after the Alex Pereira, Israel Adesanya rematch for the middleweight championship and Gilbert Burns taking on Jorge Masvidal in Miami, Florida. So that will be a Sunday morning with Eric and myself and then WrestleNomics Radio with uh, Brandon, Chris and Jesse. Uh, Time to be announced. It is Easter on Sunday. So 
some schedules are out of whack this coming weekend, but a loaded weekend nonetheless uh, for for Easter. Are you doing any celebratory events for Easter way? No, not so much. You? I mean, we do the little um, like uh, scavenger hunt for uh, Easter eggs on Sunday. Nice. Actually, this weekend I am uh, I'm taking Max to see his first movie. We are going to go see the Super Mario Brothers film. Ooh, ever his first movie ever. He's never gone to a movie theater. Yeah. Wow. So this will be a first. That's exciting. How excited is he? He was the first time I I wanted to take him to a movie, and I sh- I found like a movie that might be up his alley, and he watched the trailer. He's like, Nah, I don't care about that. <laughs> so I had to wait for. I'm like, this this might be a good one for him. So I played him the trailer tonight, and. At the end of it, he thought that was the movie. And no, I explained, no, this is just <laughs> this is just the best parts. This is just a tease. We can go. And he said, will you get me popcorn? I was like, I will get you popcorn. He's like, okay, we can go. So we're going to go. Wow, amazing. Okay. We'll see if we make it through the end of the movie. I'm, I'm, hoping, I'm hoping we make it to the end, but we'll see. It looks good. I've seen the trailers. Yeah, I, yeah. I might it's like I, I'm, I'm fine to go watch this and, and see mm-hmm. how it is. So I will, I will report back. Yes, please. Okay, let's move on to... Where do you want to go next way? Anything I'm forgetting? I think we have some news. We do have news. So the sale to WWE just wanted to sort of do a a wrap up on on several aspects um, that have been uh, reported since. Uh, One of them was uh, a quote from uh, Mark Shapiro, one of the executives at Endeavor uh, that he gave to Sports Business Journal, noting that we're going to run the UFC playbook. The opportunity to put Vince McMahon's creative head with Dana White and Ari Emanuel is going to create a significant amount of value for shareholders. And that's what that's what fans they're rooting for value for shareholders. That's <laughs> that's going to be the chant. But interesting when you interpret what that will mean, run the UFC playbook and how much to a T do they follow that? I I did not expect this to be the predominant topic that at least has been uh people reaching out to me or commenting uh, to me, but it does make sense from a fan point of view. It seems that the biggest concern is these pay-per-views from WWE and going back to asking you for money. And I definitely sense like if, if that is a thing, I don't believe it would be a thing until this deal with Peacock is up at the earliest. And we are only in year three of a five-year deal. But what is your sense, Way? Because if you are running from the UFC playbook, that's a big part of Endeavor's business with UFC is the fact that they had this ESPN Plus deal. And that was the fight pass strategy of launching a streaming service, but not putting your pay-per-view content. And they launched a month before WWE Network. Those were the two competing visions. Yeah. My feeling is, well, first of all, the Peacock deal is until what, 2026? So end of 2025, it goes until so no, we're, we're not that far away from this. It's okay. but, but still a few more years. Yeah. Uh, so I don't think anybody we don't have to worry about it um, until then. But after that, I think at the very least, they're going to be looking at a WrestleMania. They're going to be looking at maybe a Rumble. They're going to be looking at maybe a SummerSlam as options for them to be able to sell off separately. But. I mean, who knows what the streaming landscape is going to look like in two, three years time, John, you know, a peacock might might be desperate enough to retain everybody that, you know, has come over for WrestleMania where they'll say, hey, we'll pay you X amount of money so that you don't go to a pay-per-view streaming model. Um, when they say we're going to use the UFC playbook, I mean, I, I think they just mean we're going to try to make as much money um, with this as we have made for the UFC. Wait, that's that's value for shareholders. 
value for shareholders. That's right. Yeah. But, you know, beyond the pay-per-view structure and the pay-per-view model, what other improvements has Endeavor brought to UFC after their purchase? Well, I mean, from an infrastructure standpoint, like you certainly cannot uh, understate like the muscle that comes with an Endeavor. But you can also look like this is a talent agency. And it's interesting because it comes at a time when UFC business is very, very strong. But do they have that crossover figure? Like you can argue Conor McGregor, but it's almost as though he has been like he's only had so many fights during this Endeavor period. And I think many people look at him like he is in the the kind of twilight of his fighting days, even mm. when he comes back against Michael Chandler, how many fights he has left. But in, in terms of like taking um, taking these fighters and making them the, these larger than life superstars that have crossover appeal. Like I, I do think like there are some, they are some big names within in combat sports and some of their pay-per-views, they have certainly driven up um, their, their star power on pay-per-view. But I, I don't know if we necessarily have seen that crossover and that would be something that you you would think that like an endeavor would have a pretty solid handle on, especially when you're talking about from the pro wrestling space, everything we hear about the intellectual property of these that WWE controls all of it. And you would think an endeavor can exploit that. Certainly. Yeah, I, I think professional wrestling and the WWE offers way more potential, you know, um, talent agency uh, um, I guess benefits than a, a, a real sport like a UFC would. You know, professional wrestling exists really in both realms, um, equally Hollywood, equally sports. And I'd, I'd be very curious to see what sort of creative options we get out of that particular relationship, not just even mentioning the UFC side of things. But um, I, you know, what, how does this change the UFC? Does it change it at all having a WWE and having this new infrastructure attached to it? Well, what's the level of crossover you see? Like, certainly from a promotional standpoint, I think it makes all the sense in the world that when there's a big fight that you have an incorporation of certain fighters coming over to Raw to promote it in, in the same way we, we see with any other celebrities that they weave into uh, just a guest host type of role, that type of thing. Mm -hmm. I don't know if... You know, if the right circumstance came up, you could see a fighter crossing over to do a celebrity match. I don't see it as much the going the other way. Although a real interesting one is Gable Steveson. Like that is somebody that, you know, of everyone on your WWE roster, I mean, who is somebody that could uh, perform on that side? Um, like, again, there's there's that avenue if you had the right um, talent. But for mm -hmm. promoting big shows, I think you're going to see more crossover uh, from, from that standpoint, it also becomes interesting because you are talking about all these different networks as well that are under this umbrella, like an ESPN, a Fox, an NBC. And we've seen how it, it's worked with WWE, even though you have SmackDown that is promoting everyone towards a, a peacock for its big events. But it has worked like they have been able to. There hasn't been any restraints in that in that side. But you are just bringing different competing brands that are all hopefully you're going to have that that ability to promote one another but what kind of crossover do you expect down the road like beyond the advertising you know and 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 seeing maybe uh paul Levesque appear on a ufc to talk about something or maybe a, a brock lesnar even you know showing up on a ufc to promote a, a match or something like that um i i don't know how much like there's i don't know how much the audience wants to see it it's certainly i think this is a lot more sensitive for the mma fan than it is for a professional wrestling fan 
I don't think the MMA fans want anything to do with professional. I, I think wrestling. Dana White has always wanted an, an arm's distance from professional wrestling. Like when he, mm. people have to understand when when the Fertitas and Dana White took over in two thousand and one. You know, it was it was Lorenzo that his studying was the WWF. It was learning that business. Dana White came from the boxing side of things. His dream was to have a Tuesday night fights like program. That was the staple on the USA network. Instead, Mm -hmm. he got ultimate fighter. And for all the reasons, it was a blessing that they got ultimate fighter, as opposed to just putting on live fights once a week, that type of thing. But Lorenzo, like that was learning the WWE business, understanding how they got their television into markets to introduce the product. Then you bring the live event and understanding how you can turn television stars into pay-per-view draws. And it was learning the revenue streams of WWF that he applied there. But Dana White, he was someone that notoriously he cut down on some of the more the showy entrances and such that didn't they they tried pyro for a time their audience like their audience didn't want pro wrestling i think that they enjoyed certain aspects that came with pride but mm-hmm. they did not want to be a cousin to professional wrestling and i think that's where dana came from and what was less so when impact was on spike it was very rare that they would have cross promotion on a ufc broadcast they did it a few times when hogan was coming in but it was always, to me, sort of an, an arm's length away from professional wrestling. And, you know, he has always been very he's always been very polite or has never took a public knock at Vince McMahon, even though there have certainly been you know times along the way where, where Vince McMahon has you know been very combative with the UFC. And as didn't he offer Dana a fight? He wanted he, he wanted to wrestle him at WrestleMania when they were trying to put together the Undertaker and Brock match together. And again, there is WWF sending the Undertaker to the Cain Velasquez fight uh, with Brock. And there they, they shoot an angle right on the floor, like at a mm-hmm. UFC broadcast. Uh, so it's anyway, it's, it's an interesting history <laughs> right down to that WrestleMania story of Dana going to watch Ronda Rousey's first match and getting the crappy tickets. Remember that story? Not all yes. that long ago. Mm-hmm. I bet he'd get really. better WrestleMania tickets for future years. Very likely. Yeah. So it, it, again, it's, it's interesting, but I think Dana White as well, he is very much a team player when it comes to the, the endeavor ownership and will go along with what, what needs to be like, what, what's you are, you know, that, like this is the team that you were on and it's, it's a lot of interesting personalities as we, we talked about this week. Very much so. Yeah. Uh, some, some other ones that I, I just wanted to throw up some interesting topics is one as well about what kind of hiring we're going to see from WWE this year when it comes to talent that becomes available. And is there going to be a restriction on, you know, how much until this sale is finalized, is there going to be a bit of a hiring um, freeze is like we, we saw just the the large hiring spree that Paul Levesque went on and that cooled down a few months ago. And mm-hmm. and you can certainly look at just a Jay White showing up uh, tonight and, you know, is like how, what are the handcuffs when it comes to hiring new talent? Is WWE going to be? less active when it comes to a big free agent uh, coming up and the big ones this year, like we know of a Kenny Omega, we know of the young bucks and, you know, if it's a big name talent, are they going to aggressively go after them? Is there going to be reluctance? And 
to be fair, when you look at this WrestleMania lineup and of all the people that Hunter brought back, uh, three of them had wrestling matches on, on this show this past weekend. That was Braun Strowman, Dakota Kai, and Chelsea Green. And I guess you could count Valhalla in there being in the corner of the Viking Raiders. Like that was, it's not as though all these people that came back, it was this suddenly, wow, it's like Hunter had the chance to show everyone like these were hires that or or departures that we should not have made. It's Mm -hmm. like a lot of them have come back and they've sort of fell into lower end roles. Yeah. I like looking back, I really do maybe question Levesque's thinking in bringing back a lot of these people that ultimately he didn't do a whole lot with. Um, I'm trying to so many, it was almost like this. We had to make it like must see TV. Like every week someone was going to come back. Well, then you, you load up uh, your, your locker room and it's the same issue we talk about with AEW where they don't have the time for all these people, nor has the time been ultimately utilized in the, in the greatest of fashion for some people. Like some have just, they have not caught on and it's not be, like carrying cross. They, they put an honest effort to get him over and it, it has not clicked in a, in a big way. No. So, you know, beyond maybe hitting undo on what Vince might've ordered uh, about a year ago, I, I don't exactly know what the plan was. And going forward, I certainly don't see this type of hiring spree happening again. In fact, I I wonder, well, there, here's an interesting question. You know, usually maybe around these periods is when we start to see some, some uh, cutbacks. And now that the sale talk is over, is there as much incentive for them to be lowering their costs? Or is this the, the, the incentive higher now, now that they're under new ownership? I think there's absolutely going to be cost cutting and you would think it's a natural that it could extend to talent. And I, I raised this in our interview with, with Alex Sherman as well as what impact this has on UFC. Like if you are UFC and you're doing these record, these record numbers, and now all of a sudden your parent company has just, uh, you know, dad's gone off and remarried. And now you've got a bunch of stepbrothers and UFC is told um, you need to cut down your, um, your, your, your expenses by 5%. It's like we why why are we being penalized for this? You know, it's it's an interesting like UFC is sort of just backdoored into this. Like they are probably going like if there are layoffs, I don't see it just extending to one side. I think it would be across the board of this new company. And you would certainly look at at talent. And if it is Vince McMahon that is looking at it's like these are people I already cut that were brought back. What is their contribution on television? And if we need to cut five to 10%, it's like, certainly you would, you would be naive to not have that concern. And that Mm -hmm. goes for behind the scenes people. It's, it's unfortunate, but that is the consistency when you see uh, mergers like this occur. And part of it is you are able to take these two companies, merge them together. And then there's going to be one person that can do the job of two and you're, you're eliminating positions as well. Yeah. So, you know, when it comes to maybe uh, certainly acts that uh, Vince himself has uh, cut previously, I, I don't know if you'll see too many, you know, uh, returns of like a, a Chelsea Green or maybe even a Karrion Cross. But look who main invented WrestleMania this year. It was somebody from the opposition in a Cody Rhodes look. And that was a Vince hire. And, and, and look how exceptional 
that proved to be. So if you're Kenny Omega, if you're the Bucks, if you're MJF, you're still going to get a really good look, I'm sure. And I'm sure you're still going to get those offers. It's probably the case that it's always been is that the the upper class are going to be unaffected, but it is mm-hmm. the middle. I, I would honestly say even the lower class, which I'm not saying that's a demeaning term, but just in terms of an entry level deal, when mm-hmm. you're talking about these tryouts and NIL deals, I don't think those are going to change. And yes, to your point, I think the the upper class names that would be difference makers, they're going to be unaffected. It's that middle tier. And there's a big swath that you could put in that. That is the area that would be the cuts and ones that you don't see. You know, do we need somebody? And maybe they they could have viewed a Jay White as somebody that would have fit in in the middle. And do we need more people in the middle? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The last thing I'll, I'll make and just listen to a lot of analysis about this deal and consistently people are bringing up, you know, what, what is truly the biggest um, domestic sports uh, rights that are coming up. And that's the NBA whose deal is up at the end of 2024, 25, and they're making approximately 2.7 billion per year on their, on their rights. And you've got Warner brothers discovery that has sort of put out the message that we can, we can be fine without the NBA, but many people believe that it would be detrimental to TNT to lose the, the NBA and how much posturing is that. Mm-hmm. But there, there's an impact here. NBC is believed to very much want to get back into the NBA game uh, and, and get the rights back. And there is that needs to be, I think, in the, in the back of our minds as we're looking at this, that if you are uh, TNT or Warner Brothers Discovery, and you want to make as big a bid as possible to keep even a portion of your NBA package, that's going to have consequences as it relates to other programming. Conversely, if you are NBC Universal and you want to make a huge play for the NBA, again, is that going to harness your ability to give a gigantic increase to WWE programming? And on top of that, I've heard several analysts suspect that the NBA package that they would get, you would probably see games on the USA network, which you suddenly get basketball. It's not necessarily doing the numbers uh, that raw does, but in terms of uh, advertising that you're going to command for weekly Tuesday night basketball on USA, like that becomes your flagship on USA, even if it's doing lower numbers than, than raw. So anyway, these are all hypotheticals at this point, but it's all these different balls in play that um, we should all be keeping uh, paying close attention to and what is that what is that the, uh, what is the nba's um at TV the end of up? uh at, at the end of the 2024-25 season so we, okay. we still have some time uh before the nba deal but as you're going into these negotiations all these all these com- these broadcasters they know that deal is up and mm-hmm. you don't want to just spend the farm when you know that the nba is going to be like 2.7 billion and they're going to want an increase on that. So, and, mm. and you have all the streamers that, that that's the big, the big play to make is for the NBA. So then what's, what's your play if you're a professional wrestling company, obviously you probably want to nail down something, you know, as maybe like, do you want to go long-term or should you be going for shorter term deals? I, I would, I would honestly be looking at, at a minimum. F- I think your, your broadcasters are going to be wanting the, the longer length. I, mm. I would say, I, I don't see any of these deals being under five years. Um, I, I could t- right. look, look at the NFL. Like they, they signed up for like 10 year deals uh, across the board. So mm-hmm. I, I'm thinking no less than that, than five, but 
once you're talking five plus years at a increase over their last uh, amount, like that's why a lot of these places, it's like, do you just look at buying this thing? Because the, the amount that you're going to spend, if, if, if WWE were to land a, a seven or eight year deal, and maybe that's on the high end, like we're getting into gigantic figures here. And that's what Endeavor is, is hoping for. Yeah, with with these types of negotiators like an Aria Manual and Nikon, I'm I'm very curious to know what that playbook looks like. How these negotiations are going to go? Not that we'll ever necessarily find out, but I, you know, clearly, like they have a, a, a few very very respectable negotiators on their side. Well, and how involved is an Aria Manual? Is that just hands off? This is Nick Khan's baby that he's been taking care of, and he's going to spearhead that, or is Aria Manual going to be getting in the mix? Like these are. These are like agents that have been on competing sides in in Nick Khan's previous world, and now they're under the same roof. Never underestimate like egos at this level either. It's it's really fascinating theater. Moving on, uh, PW Insider reporting earlier this week that uh, Charlotte Flair appears to be going on a hiatus for an undetermined uh, period of time. It's actually her birthday today, and uh, she is in Hawaii with Andrade. So uh, we don't know how long this will be, but uh, comes at, at a time when she, she had only come back in December after being off since uh, Backlash last year. So it it certainly puts more spotlight on this women's division because you're removing one of the top stars. We also don't really know what the status of Bailey is from a cryptic tweet. She was not on raw Monday night. So it's like, you are always stating way that, you know, there are all these names in these divisions, but they are lacking stars in all of these divisions. And you, if you are not going to Bianca and Rhea Ripley, these are two champions that desperately need opponents. It seems as though they have their stars and they're all building up these championships. Bianca with the Raw belt, Ripley with the SmackDown belt, and Becky with the tag belts. But they're not inter interweaving for the time being. So it's like, those are your three stars, and they're like in these separate divisions, and they have no opponents in these divisions that are built up. So that mm-hmm. is what the period is for this women's division. And the idea of going to some Charlotte rematch is probably out the window for at least some time. Mm-hmm. All the maybe um, discussion around the the Charlotte return since January until now has it, it it certainly feels makes me feel like there's there's been a lot of like on um maybe uh surprises you know in store like from what we gather she was not supposed to be in this mania match and it was supposed to be Ronda who was supposed to be the champion Charlotte came in and then quickly won the belt off of Ronda. Um, and then Charlotte seemed to be kind of forced into this baby face role that I don't know if she was originally supposed to be in. And then her quick exit afterwards. I mean, there's a lot of um, a lot of weirdness mm-hmm. going on um, that we, we obviously can only speculate on. But I mean, ultimately, I, I think her future is still in the WWE. It really is the best place for somebody of her stature or the amount of money I would assume she, she's making. Um, so I think she'll be back, um, you know, when she's ready. And I the right now it's it's really, really important for the company to try to build that next star. Rhonda's not really doing anything, unfortunately. Um, so who's next in line? And can Paul Levesque prove that he could build somebody new that's not Rhea Ripley? I I would say that's been one of the biggest weaknesses of this run, if it continues. Um I don't know if you want to pull up this photo because it's it's super graphic, but dude, the Finn Balor 
head laceration. So we talked about this WrestleMania night and, and you were informing me in real time about the fact that they were stapling him uh, during the match. And so I'm watching this match and you could see the ladder hitting him. And there was a, there was a significant amount of blood and I'm imagining it's like, you know, he got like cut on the forehead, seeing this wound that he got on the top. So of I, I, just, just to warn everybody, because we're talking about it so much, I am going to pull it up. Okay, right. so this is Three, very graphic, two, so you might not want to watch it. But anyway, some people have uh, better stomachs for this stuff. So he got 14 staples. And I'm not here to say they made the right call, they made the wrong call. It's a very high-pressure situation on the big show of the year. But, man, I watch this. It's like they – like that wound and – the idea that he continued and they stapled him on the spot. It's like, I don't know, man. I I don't know. And I understand that had they waived this match off. Yes. Your crowd would, they would not understand the severity of the injury and they'd be pissed. And there's part of me that just, you know what? It's, it's a head injury. Like this is, that's a really bad wound. And again, I've seen some awful stuff happen in MMA fights and guys have continued. And sometimes wounds look a lot worse than they are. But when you're stapling a guy and you're in a stadium full of 65,000 people, um, I I don't know. Uh, It was like seeing how severe it was. Like it certainly does push it to the edge of at what point do we consider a match being called off? And I hope we're in an era now where it's at least being tabled, that that is an option as opposed to just, you know, continue to go. And this will lead into a bit of our discussion in this punk interview of him suffering a concussion in the Royal rumble in his last match Mm. and then continuing for, and this was also punk refusing to kind of duck out early and they kind of just put their hands up and like, okay, keep going. Mm. So anyway, so I understand the mentality that these wrestlers always want to keep going. And in the the world of wrestling, it's uh, you never stop a match, but I think it's at least worth um, exploring those questions when you see something like this occurring. Yeah. So we've seen them stop matches before due to concussion. Have they stopped matches before due to cuts? And excessive well, there blood? was, there was the period of time. And I remember it was even a Finn Balor, a Samoa Joe match at takeover, like mm-hmm. where they were famously like stopping matches when there was blood and you just had to like the time stood still and audiences reacted negatively to it. And everyone, the wrestlers did as well. The the wrestlers were pissed and I get that. And you have to always go into it with the understanding the wrestlers will be pissed because it's all, they always are going to be focused on you get to the finish. And it's just built into the history of, of I I don't blame any wrestler that has that reaction in front of a crowd. It's, it's an unexpected curveball that you have enough on your plate without dealing w- w- with this, yeah. but like that comes with it. And you need to have sort of the bad guy out there to essentially protect these guys from, from themselves. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sure he didn't do any more damage to himself. You would hope, but it's, it's not as though they just continued this and boom, hit the spear and edge no, one. Like they he continued. Jumped, he did a coup de grace off the cage like, through a table. Like yeah. he very well could have been, con- you can't tell me just on the, fl- oh, he's not concussed. Like, how could you determine that in the moment? I mean, I, I don't know what sort of checking they did, but it, this didn't seem to me like it, it was maybe a cause for, well, you're right, like a ladder to the head that, that causes much damage. Like, I'm right. thinking so. he took it like, you know, it was just like a wound to like the, the forehead. Like forehead or something. Yeah. And it's uh, like the top of the head. It's like a wound like that. It's mm-hmm. like, 
it was pr- pretty significant. So anyway, I, I'm like, uh, again, I, I don't have like your a solid answer on, on what the right call or the, the wrong call is. I know what the reaction would have been like, but it's like I, it, it was a lot more severe than in my head. I envi- envisioned that he was dealing with. I sense we, like the company has this sensitivity when it comes to concussions now, you know, like like we saw with with Danielson that one time where I mean, WrestleMania is like a different question. What would they if Finn Balor like did have all the signs of somebody who had a concussion would they have actively stopped the match i would think that like given their policy and how maybe you know careful they are about even showing blood i would feel like the, that they would this maybe well, they Gold, did. goldberg and hunter or sorry goldberg and taker was the example in saudi arabia that yeah you're they, right they did not stop and that hmm. generated okay. this discussion and that was only a few years ago that's very true i guess it was also the undertaker and um i'm sure he and not that you should allow different performers to have you know more leeway than than the other if policy is policy but i imagine maybe that was given some consideration um yeah it's it's a sensitive weird kind of like area to be able to have have these discussions in. i don't sense that much like outcry for from the public for like something like this like when it comes to cuts when it comes to people's like heads and when it comes to necks i think you you certainly do run the risk of turning the, the audience off but when it comes to cuts i don't know if they would feel as much public pressure to you know do something about it let's go into uh, some ratings uh brandon thurston had an update on the smackdown number so in several markets the show was preempted because of a uh, storm coverage so the actual number was a little bit less it was two million three hundred and seventy three thousand and a point six six in the demo it was still number one among network programs but a little bit lower than the 2.4 uh that had originally been out there raw on monday night this was a gigantic audience for the Raw following WrestleMania, they did 2,264,000 viewers, up 23% from last week, and a .76 in the demo, which is up 37% from last week, first on cable. The first hour, which was commercial-free, did over 2.4 million viewers and a .85 in the demo. Huge, huge numbers. The peak quarter uh, was the second, which was the Cody Rhodes-Roman Reigns in-ring segment uh, that did 2.6 million viewers and 1.2 million in the 18 to 49 demo. So that, that was tremendous. And while it lowered throughout the show, they did get a spike for that final quarter, which was the tease <laughs> towards the tag match um, that all those people tuning in uh, got to watch an eight minute beatdown instead of the tag match you had been promised for three hours. Right. Yeah. I don't think these numbers are really all that surprising, right? You know, coming nope. off of what it seemed like one of the most buzzed about WrestleManias in a long, long time. I had I had friends who I haven't spoken to about professional wrestling in years come up to me to ask me about these things, and especially coming off of the finish on Sunday, where, I mean, if the goal was to maybe generate more discussion coming out of that type of finish than uh, the one we all expected, well, then congratulations. They certainly achieved that, and uh, I think all this interest paid off into this hour what is it uh, commercial free first hour the question is how will they do next week after the reception to last this this show on monday yeah i mean it it, it was the most watched wrestlemania as they they put out so you mm-hmm. had more eyes on your biggest show of the year than ever um it was their largest audience since uh the raw is 30 special back in january and for 18 to 49 their highest since february 17th of 2020 before the pandemic um huge huge 18 to 34 audience and it was their largest audience in canada in years with uh 426,600 viewers so big numbers in the u.s and canada 
NXT, not as much. And they were plagued by uh, going up uh, against everything related to uh, the arraignment involving Donald Trump, uh, which dominated uh, news programs that night. 31 of the top 41 cable programs were news related. So it bumped NXT down to uh, 42nd among cable originals with 555,000 viewers, uh, which is down 10.5% from last week, and a 0.13, which was down. 16 percent um did not air live in canada so there was a replay at midnight uh that only did twenty five thousand viewers but a few things of note there was the return of cora jade and the turn by braun breaker uh which would certainly suggest he is sticking around to do uh, at least one more match with carmelo hayes i i would have suggested that after monday too you know like the, I, I can't think of a better place than you know a post-mania crowd to make one of these nxt debuts and they chose not to do it so You know, we'll see. There was no Roxanne Perez on the show. Um, She would be an interesting one. And I only say that because they went from Roxanne Perez, a babyface, to Indy Hartwell, another babyface champion, Mm -hmm. and no mention of Roxanne Perez. So I have no knowledge if they're calling her up, but she would be very high on my list of people to call up. So I think um, I think the roster probably needs a Roxanne Perez more so than they need a Braun Breaker. This women's these women's divisions are incredibly thin right now. Saturday, it's a Sakura Genesis. So th- this card, this is Kazuchika Okada and Sonata. And uh, I have not seen the the recent uh, Road Two shows. I heard that the um, the match that they had with Shingo Takagi and Aaron Hanare last week was uh, tremendous. And it sounds like just five guys have been getting over pretty significantly. So I'm curious to see what kind of reaction Sonata gets in this match. And I think it's with the recent turn. If you're ever going to pull the trigger on Sonata, this might be it. Um, I'm not saying it's going to happen, but I would say if he doesn't, I, I almost think like there, there's no prayer of Sonata winning this title. Well, which maybe is, they want to just freshen things up. Yeah, it, it was surprising that they were going to do this with Sonata so quickly after the turn, because if he fails, then where do you go from there? You know, rather than giving some him some time to really build up to a title challenge. But you're right. Like, I mean, Gato booking has this is this wouldn't be uncommon if if he if he gave the belt to this guy right away. Um, I don't see it happening still. But hey, there's at least that intrigue. Hiromu Takahashi and Robbie Eagles for the junior heavyweight title. That's going to be phenomenal. Uh, Robbie Eagles has just joined TMDK and Hiromu has had, and since winning back this junior heavyweight title, I mean, it has been some excellent matches that he has been having uh, with uh, j- just the, the recent match that, that he had last month. And uh, th- this, this should be excellent. Second from the top uh, Bishamon, Hiroki Goto and Yoshihashi against Aussie open for the IWGP tag titles world tv title match so this is the 15 minute time limit deal with zack saber jr against shota umino mercedes monet azumi and hazuki in a three-way for the iwgp women's championship tamatanga hikuleo and master wato against david finley kenta and el fantasmo and they're doing a battle for leadership between david finley and el fantasmo so teasing issues between those two uh lij's naito takagi and bushi against taichi yoshinobu kanemaru and doki and then the unofficial main event it's house of torture evil yujiro and show against jeff cobb aaron hanare and francesco akira and they will have an opening six-man tag match where the participants have not been uh, announced yet. So that is Saturday morning uh, from Sumo Hall. And again, Karen Peterson and Bruce Lord will have a post-show on the Post Wrestling Cafe if you would like to check that out. And the last thing is Saturday night, the UFC returns to Miami. This is their first event in Miami since March 
of 2003 when Matt Hughes fought Sean Shirk. That's a, wow, that's a very long time. Wow. Yes. So this is where Wade's going to be on Saturday night, hanging out with me to watch the rematch between uh, Alex Pereira and Israel Adesanya. So the backstory here is that Pereira beat Adesanya twice in kickboxing fights. Adesanya comes over to MMA. He rises to the top of the UFC middleweight division, wins the title, and Pereira makes his way over to MMA too. And he's just on the heels of this guy. And he's coming, and he's coming, and he gets the title fight last November. And Adesanya is winning this fight when all of a sudden in the fifth round, he gets stopped by Alex Pereira. So Pereira now owns three wins in two different combat sports against Adesanya. So guess who the favorite is going into this fight on the betting odds? (laughs) Somehow it's... Israel Adesanya. Oh, and three against this guy. Adesanya is the betting favorite. So, mm. so, Pereira, so but like, I mean, he, if he was winning the whole most of the fight, well, that's the interesting part. And I'm, I'm so fascinated by this fight because Adesanya had moments uh, like he had his big moments, both in their kickboxing fights and certainly in this MMA fight. Like you would say the more well-rounded fighter is Adesanya, but Pereira has incredible striking. Um, and it is, and he has just been able to, have that patience and did so in the last fight. It wasn't until the fifth round and Pereira is such an interesting champion because there's, there's many fighters that you would favor against this guy. And a lot of those fighters that Adesanya has beaten, but this guy has, as we talk about Matt Hughes, the last time they were in Miami, like he was at that time, the most dominant welterweight, but there was a fighter by the name of Dennis Holman who was able to beat this guy twice. And it was Mm -hmm. just like, he just got his number and it becomes interesting. Like if you're Adesanya, like this could be one of those fights where, I mean, he is just absolutely disciplined and it could be a very, very dull performance because a loss for Adesanya puts him in a very weird spot. I am not as high on as others of this guy moving up in weight. I, I think middleweight is where he should be, but a loss. I mean, you, you are not running this one back uh, a third time. Uh, after two losses and it really puts him in no man's land in the in the middleweight division so whenever you see fighters sort of in that position sometimes they they can be very very cautious just to ensure a victory but you know caution against Pereira it's it it can be very detrimental in the sense that this guy is very poised and if you leave that opening he can find them he's a very very precise striker uh, but has a weakness when it comes to uh, wrestling and Adesanya, we we could certainly see some interesting um, curveballs, whether it be Adesanya trying to introduce a more wrestling heavy game plan. And what has Pereira learned knowing that that's such a weakness of his that is going to be a target by not just uh, potentially an Adesanya, but other wrestlers in this middleweight division. So I'm more so interested to see how these guys adjust and not having a big window to do so. They only fought in November. How much of your game are you going to change in that time span? And then the other fight is a Jorge Masvidal, who is somewhat uh, against the wall here. He's lost three in a row, and he's taking on Gilbert Burns. He is going to be the most popular fighter on this card. It's it's happening in Miami because of Jorge Masvidal. And it's a weird one because Dana White has already announced Colby Covington is definitely getting the next title fight against Leon Edwards. And Edwards has said, I'm not fighting this guy. He has not earned it. And it would seem like Dana White is so adamant all the time that we don't make fights uh, 
right after a, a title fight. It's like we we always wait, and they easily could have said in a couple of weeks, Burns and Masvidal are fighting, and maybe there's going to be a title fight at stake. But he's done the opposite, where he's basically said, this is just a fight. There's no title fight at stake for either. But we will see. Dana White has been known to uh, change his mind on certain things. Uh, Gilbert Burns, he is... Uh, you know, he fought Kamaru Usman several uh, two years ago for the championship. Since then, he has gone two and one. He had a really quick fight against Neil Magny back in January. So he is going to be heavily favored in this fight. And Masvidal, in the lead up to this fight, he's even stated if he loses, he might retire. So when you hear a guy stating that out loud in the lead up to a fight, it definitely gives you a, a cause for pause. He has had a lot of fights. He's 35 and 16. He's 38 years old. And I mean, he certainly has the the power that could um, that could find its mark, but I just see too many ways for Gilbert Burns to win this fight that I, I think he should be a comfortable favorite in in this fight. So those are the two uh, main fights, and also way Raul Rosas Jr., who is two years, three years younger than Julia Hart, will be competing on this card. Born in October of two thousand and four, uh, he is eighteen won on the Contender Series last September, and then won his first UFC fight back in December. And he is on the pay-per-view main card. And boy, has this drawn a lot of ire from other people that are on the on the, the undercard that think it's bullshit that Raul Rosas Jr. is in the main card. So Rosas Jr. comes back today and says, they're just jealous. They should be taking some notes on how to get onto the main card. So this 18-year-old... Good yeah, stuff. I you, you could certainly question like being here in the UFC at the age of 18. He's taking on a, a 12 and two fighter and Christian Rodriguez, not exactly a world beater. So they are kind of slow rolling him. But I mean, you're only going to get so many fights like that in, in the UFC. And it's very tough to develop when you're you're 18. But so far, so good. He's seven and oh as a pro. But it's it's more so, you know, how will this guy adapt when he is getting into the uh, the deeper waters of the bantamweight division? So anyway, way uh, you can come at six for the early prelims or ten o'clock for for the pay per view, whatever you'd like. Maybe maybe Vince will be there. Maybe we'll show. I'll show up Friday night. We'll watch Rampage and Battle of the Belts and stay. Okay, we'll just do an all nighter and then watch Sakura Genesis Saturday morning. And sounds awesome. We'll go watch Mario Brothers. I haven't Max. seen that much wrestling recently, so I think that that sounds great. Okay, in we go to AEW Battle of the Belts from Long Island, New York, where we had four championship matches on this card from the UBS Arena on Long Island in front of uh, just over 7,000 people, according to WrestleTix. We start things off with Ricky Starks and Juice Robinson, or would we? Because then we hear Jay White's music play. Juice runs down and he is followed by Jay White and they double team Starks. Excalibur calls White the hottest free agent in pro wrestling, and he lays out Ricky Starks with the Blade Runner, and the uh, the announcement is made that Jay White is all elite, and this was a rare time when a promoted match on AEW was not delivered upon, but you got this instead. So I don't mm-hmm. think people were too upset. Yeah, I mean, um, I guess depending on who you're asking, maybe the biggest you know, surprise coming out of the show, maybe the biggest announcement coming out of the show. Um, and certainly when it comes to maybe the, I don't know, uh, fandom, maybe the the one that might be the most buzzed about. Um, I thought it was rather unfortunate that the camera kind of missed 
his arrival into the arena it was stuck on on this wide shot as uh you know juice robinson was making the sneak attack and then all of a sudden you hear jay white's music and then you see this little tiny figure on the stage and the audience live recognizes it's jay white unfortunately before maybe giving them that really nice presentation that you'd want for a guy making his promotional debut i also question maybe this type of introduction um because I, I I, mean, it's a great surprise, but, you know, let's remember, like, Jay White is a guy who is headlined at Tokyo Dome. Jay White is somebody that I think a lot of people were expecting even to show up at a WrestleMania, if not the Raw after WrestleMania. So I think he's a really big deal. To put him into this situation kind of makes it feel like he's a sidekick of Juice Robinson's rather than, to me, somebody who should be inserted you can insert him directly into a main event. So I didn't really love that. I didn't really love the pacing of the segment itself. I thought a lot, a lot, a bit much was going on. And by the end of it, I don't know if he got as much focus um, as I would have liked to have seen for somebody of his stature. I, I can certainly see the, the structuring of the segment as a whole. I like that. They started the show with something that immediately grabbed your attention. And you've got that buzz circulating immediately at the start of the show. It's sort of like in, in some ways they kind of treated this as like their um, dynamite after WrestleMania show. And it was mm-hmm. just, you know, <laughs> you got more of a surprise here than you did on, on Monday. And it sort of just set the tone for, um, the, the rest of the show and we have this announcement to make that they they built up all week long um, and I, I would say with Jay White like either WWE or AEW I thought it, the, the jury is out like what how is he going to adapt to either company and you might have had a very different answer three weeks ago uh, than mm-hmm. you do today I think this is looking like a, a, a better option than than WWE this week but again yeah these things change and we'll see like there have been many signings like a juice Robinson being a perfect example. I I don't think you want to aspire to be in that role where it's only of late that juice has gotten any kind of focus. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so interesting. Maybe how you phrase, maybe put that into context. Cause I, yeah, like two, three weeks ago, a Jay white coming into WWE under Levesque, I think his prospects would have looked really good. I think they would have used him really well um, in a way that I, I don't think he would have been able to have an AEW. I think his promo is one of the things that really makes him stand out from maybe your typical, you know, indie darling, you know, for lack of a better word. And I think um, he would have excelled in that form of WWE, but under a WWE that doesn't see superstar in him, doesn't see, you know, him the way maybe somebody might see a Cody he would have had no chance. He would have been a Johnny Gargano. He would have been somebody, uh, who knows? You know, it's hard to say, but that clearly is not happening now. And I don't know if AEW is going to necessarily maximize Jay White's value either. I mean, you you know, you look at so many names that have come in that are just maybe starting to get their, their run. Um, so many people that just kind of end up getting lost because there are so many other uh, other names. And this does not really give me that such, such great hope, you know? Like the way they they brought him in um with juice i understand the bullet club thing but man um they do have a program at least like they are tied with with ricky starks yeah Uh, uh, like starting off jay white with a ricky starks i i think is is fine is is okay but i think jay white's big enough that you could have started him with with a kenny omega you could have started him with you know at the very top and then maybe move down from there but hey we'll see it's it's only been a, a small small um you know interaction we've seen so far they threw to a video package from, they stated last week, 
which was Adam Cole's return. And with all that I've watched, I thought this was three weeks ago that Adam Cole like returned it. for Daniel Garcia. Yeah. I was like, that was a week ago. Shivani then interviews Chris Jericho about what, why he came out last week with, with Daniel Garcia being beaten by Cole. He says he has nothing against Adam Cole. He's happy that he's better, but he got the win last week. He got the girl, and then he celebrated, and he kept celebrating while Daniel Garcia lay there, and he punked him out. So I made him look like tr- – or you made Garcia look like trash, and I had to stop it. He didn't really stop the celebration. He kind of just took Garcia and walked him to the back. The Mm -hmm. celebration continued. But Keith Lee walks in and calls Jericho the poster boy of disrespect. And Keith Lee has had his battles with Adam Cole, but he respects him and challenges Jericho to Milwaukee for next week to have a match about respect as Jericho cowers as Keith Lee leans over him. Mm Mm-hmm. So building to Jericho versus Adam Cole and looking like using Keith Lee as a setup guy. So I'm expecting Jericho to beat Keith Lee, but I, I hope somehow it'll launch Keith Lee into his, his next feud. Um, I'm curious to know what the match looks like. Yeah. House of Black against Orange Cassidy and the Best Friends for the Trios Championships with the Best Friends and Cassidy getting dropped off by Trent's mom, Sue, in the minivan. Yeah, I know. They're uh, in Long Island. I believe Trent is from Long Island. so Got a big pop here. Cassidy tossed his sunglasses at uh, Buddy Matthews, and then uh, Buddy drills him into the corner with the snake eyes as they work over Cassidy. Uh, Eventually, uh, the best friends, they're in. They lift up Cassidy for the somersault dive onto House of Black on the floor. LFI is shown watching in the audience. Uh, then Black ducks the orange punch. Orange Cassidy avoids the back heel kick, and we get a standoff, the weak kicks, and then he drills Cassidy in the head with a kick. Cassidy comes back with the stun dog, and Anna Jay is in the back watching Julia Hart. And Trent hits a pile driver to Black, a pile driver to Buddy, but he can't lift Brody King. The crowd is really hot. And then after an orange punch, Trent hits the pile driver to Brody King. Everyone goes nuts, but Black breaks up the cover. Excalibur notes that All Access is coming up. And last week, over a million people joined us for All Access, which is kind of creative math when you're adding up both airings of the show. But nonetheless, will they announce next week's rating, you think? Uh, I, I think they'll just have a cumulative number. Oh, <laughs> like if yeah, 250,000 watch it, it'd be like... <laughs> Almost 1.5 million people have watched All Access. Yeah. I mean, they're not, like, technically lying. Yeah. Um, end comes when Matthews catches Taylor with the curb stomp in 11 minutes and 37 seconds. A, a pretty nice match. And uh, this crowd was, I would say, especially for the first hour um, through the MJF bit, like, th- this was a pretty hot crowd. Yeah, I thought so. Yeah, Long Island. I mean, I, I, New York crowds, I think you can always expect um, something really, really strong in terms of reaction. And they, this... they came down after the MJF segment. I think that was sort of the like their, their come down for that. Uh, mm. Guevara commander, I just felt like it, it was like nice match, but it was like the audience. It was almost like MJF has come and that was like their their pick me up. Mm. But, you know, you had uh, Trent, you know, Long Islander here and um, he, I thought, looked really good in this match. Um, I think. Cassidy continues to feel really, really strong. Um, but this was really just, you know, a way to get House of Black another win uh, as they continue to really rack it up, you know, for this trios division. I'm, I'm, I'm really curious to see, like, how they managed to continue to build this trios di- division without the elite, you know, because um, they certainly lose, like, a good deal of star power. Um, but 
I mean, the wrestlers are incredibly strong. So how do they use it to continue to build story and to make it feel like it's a main event championship? What did you think about the uh, the Orange Cassidy angle to set up Battle of the Belts? Um, <laughs> you're joking, right? Because Tralistico was scouting him from the crowd. That's that, the that was it. Yeah. So this, unfortunately, I totally missed the rundown for Battle of the Belts. So I, I'm not even sure. It's what Orange the match, Cassidy against Tralistico for the international title on Friday night. Oh, and and built off of them setting in the crowd, right? Okay. Yeah. Uh, about what I expect uh, from for Battle of the Bucks. We can start at midnight if you'd like. Um, no, I'm okay. Christian Cage is alive. He, uh, Luchasaurus comes back from the upside down, and uh, he's alive too. That's our up. Yeah, so Cage is back after he's, uh, he's, being buried alive. Yeah, uh, that that's a four week injury. Yeah. You've been buried alive. Uh, no, I have not. No. I was hoping they'd have like uh like in Kill Bill where she's uh buried and she's gotta learn the uh the punch through the wood. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um so Luchasaurus looked like he had the same mask. You know, he he's been in seemingly some like legal trouble from the people that designed the mask and seems like the, the mask stayed the same, but it was kind of dark, so we can't really tell. Maybe maybe there's some alteration. We'll we'll see. But there is your your pairing, the dinosaur and, and Christian. Jamie Hayter against Riho for the AEW Women's Championship. This is a very good match. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, a lot of it was just Jamie Hayter uh, selling for, for Riho. And she gets, uh, Rio gets hit with a Uranagi onto the edge of the apron. They go through the break. Riho with a release German and Snapdragon before she's caught with a Ushiguroshi and sliding D. Uh, then Hayter goes for the Tower of London. Maybe this was an unofficial welcome to uh, Nigel McGuinness into the company. And it's blocked, and Riho hits a top rope Rana, and cr- this crazy double knees running to her in the corner. But Hater gets her foot on the rope, and then Rio ducks the ripcord, and Hater lands with the short arm, gets a near fall, and then hits Haterade in 12.07 to retain the title and shakes Riho's hand at the end of the match. But I, I thought a uh, very good match. It was actually my favorite match on the show. I thought that this match was awesome. You know, I think Riho just does a fantastic job at, at playing underdog babyface. And even though Hater herself is a babyface, her size and how hard she hits allows her to play a really effective aggressor in this match. And I thought their chemistry was fantastic. Everything they did looked really smooth or high impact enough to elicit pretty big reactions. And the pace of action I thought was really strong. So a, a, a really good title defense, I would say, for Hater. Renee interviewed the outcasts and they make fun of Hater and they're coming for the AEW women's title. And Renee asks the natural follow-up that there's one title, but three of you. And Soraya says not to stir the pot and go buy our t-shirt. It's already teasing some dissent. Uh Uh-oh. No one can stay friends in this company Mm. for long. Mm. Menard, Parker, and Hager are out and they are getting ready for the acclaim to join their group. They come out, Max raps about being back on Long Island, that Jericho is full of more shit than George Santos and about Cocaine Bear. And Parker then cuts the promo and he has got them a match on Rampage. It's going to be an eight-man tag against opponents that we are not aware of. It's just in action. And they are going to welcome them to the Jericho Appreciation Acclaimed Society. And they go to scissor, but Billy stops Parker and says only pros can scissor. So him and Bowen scissored to end the segment. And we never got our answer. I thought the Acclaimed actually gave their answer in the rap. Like it was like Max saying, we we won't join 
Jericho because such and such, you know, because what, oh. what did he say? Okay. Because well, we did get our answer. But they're teaming up on shit. Friday. I mean, he's giving the answer, but 2.0 are refusing to listen to it, you know, doing that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. Was, I mean, it's okay. You know, like it's, it's comedy. It's, it's what you would expect out of 2.0. It's what you would expect out of the acclaimed. Um, it's okay. You know, hardly like I think the heat grabbing thing that it's you like, hey, want. we need we need to get the acclaimed on TV every week. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. what this is. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot of comedy. Like, uh, and and that's what you want out of the acclaimed. But I also think like for people that were as over as they were and 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 tag, former tag team champions, like I I want something with a bit more substance. And maybe this will lead to that, but it hasn't hit that yet. It's MJF Day, legit, because in Oyster Bay. They gave him the key to the city on Tuesday, and this was MJF putting over the title as the pinnacle of the industry, and you cannot beat a Long Islander. And it was great that they just they filmed this and that mm-hmm. they played it on television. It made this guy feel like the conquering hero coming back home. And the little did we gave- know was like the oh, most it was amazing like baby like almost like generic like baby face type of like hometown hero type of speeches you could get and it, it it's odd to see mjf do it but i also imagine i mean maybe there's some genuine you know um kind of sentiment in there but it also felt like it was kind of smarmy and like a guy that's not being he, he was playing nick bockwinkle here yeah yeah <laughs> yeah so then we are introduced to mike rogers and his great band and there's a band on the stage and MJF enters as they are playing in his dinner debonair attire and MJF proceeds to sing pennies from heaven. I cannot tell you how great this man was for the next 10 minutes on television. This was just a one, this guy, not literally a one man band, but this segment pretty much was because this guy was just, he's out there. He's singing this song and it's in front of long Island. Like, dude, he could have come out here and sang uh, terribly and they would have loved him, but he's actually like a great singer. And this crowd they're singing along. He's having the time of his life here and he gets into the ring where town supervisor Joseph Saladino has been standing this whole time. And this guy, I don't know what this guy's relationship is to these Long Islanders, but they did not care for this dude. They booed him out of the building. And MJF is even trying to calm them down. And he's, this guy is just auditioning for, uh, to become MJF's manager because he is just getting totally into promo mode here. This was unbelievable. Taz even said, this guy wants to be a heel manager. So the the crowd were chanting lower taxes. Which was great. <laughs> Is that the like the town supervisor? Like that sounds like you know doesn't that sound like the equivalent to maybe the mayor? I, I don't know if there's a mayor of Oyster Bay, but it seems like he, he might be the highest ranking. It doesn't person. sound like a high ranking title, but I imagine it is if they, he has this kind of recognition in, in his I'm gonna hear from so many people just by by this. I and I'm so curious too. So please please <laughs> yeah. alert me. MJF encourages a you deserve it clap, clap, clap chant. He buries Jungle Boy, Sammy Guevara, and Darby, who are all booed vociferously by this crowd. And that Jungle Boy is only going to be known as a guy with a girl with a wandering eye and a tiny penis. MJF says that I have a story from my childhood and it's not lore and it's not a villain origin story. He explains that he has ADD. And the crowd starts chanting ADD. He says, yeah, let's let's clap it up for ADD. Who's got it? We get our first ever ADD chant. 
that I am aware of at a pro wrestling event. And he tells the story of Mrs. Benedict, who was one of his teachers that was not sympathetic to this issue he had and waited for him to lose his concentration during class. Then she would ask him a question on the board and would laugh at him and told the class, don't be like Mr. Friedman. So on the last day of school, she asked Maxwell where his brain goes during class. And he said to pro wrestling, because one day I want to be the world champion. And Mrs. Benedict told him that the chances of that happening are slim and none. Well, Mrs. Benedict, look, lo- looks like your math was a bit off. So, so he instructs the audience, don't be like Mrs. Benedict. And by that, I mean, don't be a stupid bitch. And then he has a message for all of the kids in Long Island, but not anywhere else, not any of the other poors. If you bust your ass, you can be anything you want to be except one thing, me. And then they all sing along with his catchphrase. I mean, this guy was just (laughs) the ultimate babyface here to this audience. And in Long Island, they just go all in with, with him in this role. And I just couldn't help but watch this and wonder if, like, he's a phenomenal heel. But he's a phenomenal babyface too. And had you gone that direction with him, I just wonder if if it's just a, it's a different vibe to this show that I just see this guy as being like you would have this reaction from every crowd. Potentially, potentially. Um, I, I think he's still a better heel, you know. And I think the bigger money matchups are with him as a heel versus all these other people. Um, someday I think you're going to get that full on MJF babyface performance, but it's still um, keeping all the edge of MJF, but doing it in a babyface manner, which is what this was. Yeah, and I, he will have time, like in his career, to actually be that. Until then, I feel I feel like what we've seen of him being a babyface so far is something that is very. Mm, it kind of stra- like it's it's almost a parody of a baby face anytime we've seen him actually like you know certainly the run-up to that to the moxley match was him doing every baby face cliche you know the 10 punches in the corner that type of thing and these crowds were, were eating it up because we either really want to see him as a baby face or we're just we're just kind of lemmings and we'll just cheer for anytime somebody starts counting his punches um and i i think this long island stuff is very similar he knows like he's in his home territory and he's going to he knows that no matter what he does he's going to get cheered and that includes coming out and saying what like a five minute song <laughs> like this how long was this thing he's saying the whole damn thing it, it's almost as if like you know tony says like you could do whatever you want and he did whatever he wanted and it was it was it, very entertaining in the just seeing the atmosphere for it um but it was also c- kind of bizarre which is i think what you got last time he sang with the dinner debonair so yeah they achieved that what were the odds in your mind of MJF being given the key to his city and having the day named after him in his hometown um, when you watched the promo a couple of uh, months back when uh, he was in a car with a woman going down on him and then after the crash switching places with her? Oh, the odds? Um, yeah, that a local hmm. politician would be endorsing this man in a wrestling ring and giving him the key to the city. Right. Um, maybe, maybe still decently high. Cause I don't know who else from Oyster Bay is getting any keys from the, to, to the city these days. You know, they probably have a lot of those, um, in the drawer and or, or not a key to a car. Yeah, probably not. No. 
he goes up the stage to the band and he asks about an encore when a masked figure bashes the cymbals behind him and MJF gets pissed. And it turns out it's Jungle Boy who was put in the role of Babyface that is despised by this crowd. And they are livid that Jungle Boy is wrecking MJF Day. And so he attacks them. They boo. MJF reverses and gets on top. They cheer. They go back and forth. I mean, Jungle Boy was just like thrown out here for dead. And then Sammy Guevara walks out as the two are being separated and he holds up the AEW title. And this crowd, all they wanted was MJF and they hated Jungle Boy and pretty much hated Sammy Guevara too. Yeah, anybody who was opposed to MJF, absolutely. But, you know, they, they've they've established something here with MJF in his hometown where you could be CM Punk and you can get booed and still get cheered. And it, it, like it has no real repercussion for the overall, you know, story. So... I mean, yeah, it was fine. It's like they've turned Long Island into Bizarro like Land. It's, it's their Bizarro world that mm-hmm. here's one night where our most hated villain is our biggest hero. And the people you usually see as the heroes, it's the opposite for them. And it's sort of like this. It, it, that's exactly what it is. It's like mm-hmm. everything is flipped upside down for one night. And that's the attraction here. I wouldn't go and and state that it, it really does throw a storyline off. Um but it, it's sort of just it's an understanding of the backdrop. Like you could be a beloved player, but when you're going into you might be the the MVP front runner, but when you go to the rival team, you're not going to be loved. Um yeah. so and it's I think it's fun how they experiment with this. Punk being the the obvious example when when they did that the last time. Mm-hmm. So it's Sam and Guevara and Commander, and they really put over the commander match with Bakingo from Supercard. And they did some impressive stuff here, but I did sense like the crowd coming down during this match from the first hour and the big MJF segment. It's sort of as though they realize we got our MJF segment and now it's, it's the come down in this match. But uh, commander did a lot of his rope walk offense, uh, including one into a shooting star, then all the way across the ring and leaps into a flying knee strike from Guevara. Uh, Jungle boy is in the back watching. They boo him and commander, does a springboard twisting in midair to a poison Rana onto Guevara, then does the rope walk into a twisting cross body on the floor, which they shot zoomed out, and he got an unbelievable height on the, this dive to the floor. From there, it's a springboard into a Phoenix splash onto the Guevara, and then lands on the knees with a shooting star. The GTH gets countered, and then Darby is shown in the rafters, and both men are on turnbuckles. They meet in the middle, where Guevara catches them with a cutter, followed by the GTH to win in 8 minutes and 14 seconds, and they put over Guevara's recent wins as he is building up his uh, candidacy for an AEW title shot. Another impressive showcase for Commander, some spectacular dives. Um, I I feel like um, there might be a little too much pausing between these dives, and I understand the dives are incredibly difficult. I, I, I certainly wouldn't want somebody to rush them. And I also know that that sort of pausing might be more acceptable in Lucha Libre, for instance, but for me, it, it, it does seem pretty noticeable, maybe in an AEW product where I don't think you get that much maybe anticipation. Um, but they're spectacular dives. Yeah. Yeah. I, I thought that the match was, it was a very impressive stuff, especially from commander, but I, I did feel like it, it did leave a little just from like, it did feel like this was a come down for, for the crowd. And 
I just didn't think they they necessarily got into all the big uh, offense. But I, I did think it was a very impressive showing. Shivani interviews Guevara, and he takes the microphone away and says he did something that the world champion doesn't do, and that's wrestle. What's that shit I was just watching? American Idol? And the crowd instantly heals on him. And he brings up his match with MJF from 2021, stating, it wasn't you that beat me. Sean Spears beat me because he nailed me with a chair. And if we're the pillars, your side was not built. It was built by the people you tricked to help you. And he goes over how he's almost jealous of what MJF has done. But I would hate myself if I rose up the way you did. You were Cody's friend. You were Tony's friend. You were in the inner circle. You were with the firm. And along the way, you sold your soul. And for Guevara, he is not using AEW as a stepping stone to go anywhere else. I met my wife here. I've headlined pay-per-views here. MJF, you're just a rich bitch from shitty Long Island. And now this crowd, like they're they're somewhat like listening to this very baby-faced speech. And then they're like, oh, to hell with this guy. And says, MJF's trying to tear this place down with his bidding war. I am your heavyweight world champion. So this is very interesting because this was like, the ultimate babyface promo from Guevara in a city you knew it was not going to be accepted as such. So at the end, it was just getting in a dig at Long Island. So um, an interesting uh, promo segment. I, I yeah. thought, like, honestly, one of Guevara's better promos. Yeah. I don't know if we've heard Sammy, like, speak like this, like in a genuine sort of, like, non, I don't know, comedic sort of, like, dickish, asshole-ish manner. Um, too often in AEW. And this felt like it was almost like a Sammy speaking from the heart. And I thought he sounded really good. It's really interesting, maybe thinking about the psychology of like him doing something like this, because I think he could cut this sort of promo really anywhere and still be perceived as a heel. Um, but they chose to have him do it tonight where he was going to get booed even more. Maybe it doesn't, maybe none of it really matters because, like, he's a heel no matter where he is, especially in Long Island, but, you know, anywhere else. But I, I'm glad that they're giving him time to speak. You know, he's probably, other than MJF, the strongest promo of the four. And it's not enough to just give a guy wins when they're challenging for a title. So uh, I'm glad that they're using, giving him mic time to boost his, boost his profile a bit. Hook and Ethan Page for the FTW title. Matt Hardy and Isaiah Cassidy are out there. And, Pretty much the story of this is that um, Paige is just Paige is a great heel here, and he's taunting Matt Hardy by doing the setup for the twist of fate. But then Hook is able to counter it, and he ends up hitting his own twist of fate. So then Paige and Hardy have this tug of war over the FTW title, and Hardy nails Ethan with the belt, leading to Red Rum, and Paige goes out in two minutes when the arm is limp. And then Hardy and Cassidy smile as they leave and then Hook fist bumps them. So I guess the story here is that while Ethan Page uh, thought that Matt Hardy was helping to train Stokely, he's been secretly training Hook and taught him the twist of bait. And Hook leaves hmm. with Cassidy and Matt Hardy. And Taz can't believe this. He's been uh, he, he's not been caught up to speed on this whole thing with with Hook. So I guess uh, Matt Hardy is a. Uh, I don't know if he's still under contract. His contract's still being held above him, but he's working against the firm. Maybe Hook bought out the contract using okay. his dad's money. Maybe, yeah. Maybe. So does that mean Hook owns the contract now? Yeah. Matt Hardy just goes from owner to owner? Yeah, I think that's how that works. Um... Short match, not a whole lot to say, and we're getting a rematch on Friday. Yeah. 
yeah it's all right it's cool it's cool to see hook in long island i i i, I just haven't liked anything involving you know this Matt hardy ethan page stuff uh do you what do you think of it oh it's um i mean it's short it's um well, do you like it though no like no, it or not really it? not really I, i'm not i'm not really invested in any of the, this program uh stokely's been entertaining in his role I liked what they did with Hook and Stokely a few weeks ago. So that, yeah. that was maybe the high point of this. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll be interested to see how they explain it. You know, I like Hook. Ethan Page. I think he's a I think he's a great performer that has sort of just not found that that calling here in AEW that, um, you know, he's a really good personality. A Hook pairing with Matt Hardy and, and Isaiah Cassidy is just in terms of personality. I don't I don't know how they fit together at all, but OK, yeah, let's see. Let's see how that it, how that goes. Nigel McGuinness, who earlier in the day was announced as being signed by AEW, is with Tony Khan. And Tony Khan's big announcement is that back in 2018, Cody Rhodes, the Young Bucks, and Kenny Omega launched All In. So coming up on Sunday, August 27th, it is going to be AEW All In. And it is going to take place at Wembley Stadium in London, England. Tickets Mm -hmm. on sale May the 5th, their first UK show. And unlike some of the other locations they have gone to for the first time, they are going to a gigantic venue. Uh, This is their most ambitious show ever that they are running. 90,000. That is what it can hold up to. I don't know what the configuration will be like, but yes, this, this destroys like, what what did they announce for SummerSlam 92? What's the, what's the, the the real number is like, uh, it's like 78, 79. And I don't what's, know the exact what's WWE's number. number, like 90 something. I don't know what they announced for that show. Okay. Anyway. Yeah. Huge. Like, is, is this worthy of the huge announcement tease? It's pretty big. I, I, I think people were expecting uh, the, the London announcement. I don't know how many people were expecting Wembley stadium. Mm-hmm. I'm, I, I, I think it's worthy, you know, just because of the, to me, that's the announcement is AEW trying to attempt to pack as the, their biggest house ever. Um, can they do it? Can they fill it? It's going to be very interesting. I think that it's, if there's anywhere that they can do their largest attendance ever, like London would be pretty high on the list for, for me. I, I don't know what, it would be very hard to imagine them them filling like this level of stadium. Uh, but I, I don't know. Like it's, it's uncharted territory because they've never been there. They've never yeah. been to the UK and a first time show where, you know, it's going to be all loaded up in terms of popularity. It's not the AW popularity peak, but I mean, again, WWE going there in 92 was hardly their popularity peak. Um, so just because something is maybe not at its, at its upper popularity peak here in the u.s like you're getting that in a market that has only watched this and Mm -hmm. you're going to be getting it at a major event a major pay-per-view and i guess it also brings up the question like is do they do all out is this in place of all out um you know that would be the the week or the like two a week i I would not suggest doing back-to-back weekends but tony has been very high on tradition and and Labor Day weekend in Chicago being that tradition. And, you know, we, we had seen the reports of them potentially looking at the United Center for All Out. So it does become a question if they are going to attempt to do All Out on top of this, which which would be another pay-per-view this year. 
And if I was going to add it, I don't know if I would be adding them on back-to-back weeks. That would not be – I don't know if I want to give myself a week to build up a pay-per-view. I guess, you know, they could probably still fill a, or at least do really well at a United Center even after so close after like a, you know, a, a UK show, I, I think you're, you're trying to cater to different markets that won't one, that won't have a chance to go to another show. Um, I think if they, if they were doing, do if they were doing this at like the O2 arena and it's the first time in, and I, I would still say back to back weekends on pay-per-view, it's like, you're asking way too much of people. Right. But when you're trying to sell this many tickets, I'm not holding anything back for the next week. You are throwing everything and then some, onto this card this has to be their most yeah. loaded card ever and you cannot yeah it, it I, I can't say like the there's there's no chance they do it but i w- i would think like that would be a really tough ask of your audience and and i think it would semi hurt this show and because you would have to be able to build up a show for the next week anyway we're, we're getting way ahead of ourselves but yeah, it, it, this this will be a, a big, big uh, test in terms of like what the appetite is there. Like we could be very surprised by how high the demand is for here. Like of all the places AEW can go that they have not already, this to me represents the the largest uh, appetite of anywhere in the world that has not got it. And and honestly, I would expect a bigger first impression here than or, sorry in London than Toronto even. Does the show need CM Punk? I would want CM Punk on a on a stadium show. Yes. Hmm. So we will see. Like this would be the show I would I would want him to be back on. This post wrestling podcast is brought to you by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Financial literacy can be daunting, but it's one of the most valuable things you can equip yourself with. On NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast, their trusted financial journalists offer easily digestible conversational discussions on topics like balancing your portfolio. If you think an ETF is one of Cena's five moves of doom, this show might be for you. Planning for your tax bills this April, so you don't have to worry about a visit from Erwin R. Scheister. And putting away more money for retirement. Because unlike most wrestlers at the end of their careers, most of us should only plan on retiring once. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. So that is the announcement. The BCC had a, a quick squash against Aaron Rourke. Elvin Alvarez and brother greatness who did not have any greatness in this, in this match. It was a minute 10 with Yuta cross-facing one of the guys. And then they just beat on these guys. And I am going to defer. Usually I would, uh, I would assign a match of the night tonight. It's the segment of the night. And that was Brian Danielson. He comes in and he states he's been at home with his family because he loves his family. But I also love John Moxley. I love Claudio. And I love Yuta. Even if he's a little shithead. And I love pro wrestling. And asks if these three look like professionals. Referring to the three battered men on the floor that they have just destroyed. They look like people the EVPs would have hired. They're just amateurs. Impotent amateurs. And Danielson thinks the four of them are the only professional wrestlers in this building tonight. And that prompts Hangman Page to storm out. Danielson calls him another amateur. And they attack Page as Danielson just sits back and watches and yells that they are professionals as they beat him down. Danielson loves these men. Page has no one that loves him. And no one from the back is coming to help you. In fact, They don't even know what love is. 
and I've been teaching my kids a few things around the house as he pulls out a screwdriver about fixing the house. And it's time to fix the house that is AEW from all these amateurs. And he takes this screwdriver to the face of Hangman Page. He's going to Finn Balor this guy. And that's how we end this segment. No one comes to Hangman. Dude, there wasn't even security out. Jungle Boy <laughs> jumps MJF. Dude, you had an army stopping Jungle Boy. And this guy's getting his, his face reconstructed on live television. No one th- there to help him. Well, I guess now security you- was busy. Well, uh, no one came. Can I tell uh, a quick story? When I was eight years old, one of the scariest things that ever happened to me, I was at my my grandmother's house for some birthday party, and my younger cousin, so I'm about eight, nine years old, so my cousin's a few years younger than me, and we're playing in the basement, and he takes a screwdriver, okay, from across the room, and he throws it, okay, and it's coming at me like a tomahawk, Okay. Jesus. And it nails me. The end of the screwdriver comes and it hits me like below the eye and it cuts me all the way open. It was like that close to hit it to, to like right in my eye. And it was like wow. freaky as hell. So anytime I see a screwdriver, I think of that. Like it, it is ingrained in my memory of like how close it was. And my, my mom telling me, he's like, you know, that could have been really bad for you. I was like, yeah, no kidding. I got hit right, right here. It's not pleasant as it is. Could have been really bad for that kid and that kid's family as well. Damn. Yeah. It's awful. And then my cousin came over and he whispered in my ear. He's like, it's WrestleMania. We got to get to the finish. (laughs) (laughs) I could be hurt. Uh, I thought Brian Danielson was so awesome in this segment. I I thought this was the best thing on the whole show for me. I just thought he is so great in this role. Um, It was tremendous. Um, But yeah, you you should have some. uh, We do need some explanation for like no one to, to come to his aid here. Yeah, maybe. I mean, maybe the Bucks. The Bucks are kind of written out, so they have uh, the out. Mm-hmm. And I guess Kenny. It's like, man, I, all I could say is like, even if I was like friends with someone for a long time, and we had a bit of a falling out, dude, you're coming on with a screwdriver. I'd be like, okay, you know what? I, I this guy needs some help. Well, where's the Dark Order? Where's anybody? Yeah, like where are where? Where's John Silver in his hometown? Great question. I don't know. Maybe they'll answer it. Maybe it'll be answered on being the elite. I'm almost sure that they'll maybe patch that hole up. But Brian's promo, I thought, was fantastic. You know, his repeating of amateurs, amateurs, amateurs. It reminds me a whole lot of what he did with them. When, uh, with the just fickle, take a fickle. word and just Yeah, repeat, fickle, repeat, repeat. fickle, fickle yes. refrain when he yes, was a Planets totally. champion. You know, I thought, I thought that they would at first break him apart from this heel BCC. I didn't think he, he'd so easily assume the role of being their leader and mouthpiece, you know, this time, instead of fighting for the planet, he's fighting for what he perceives to be real professional wrestling. And I guess part of real professional wrestling is using screwdrivers. Um, he was great here. You know, I almost forgot how good he was as a heel. So clearly I think they're building him to the elite, elite versus BCC for maybe this run up of uh, blood and guts and also anarchy in the arena. And I think they're really setting up, re- setting it up really well. The BCC feels like they're the biggest heel threat in this company in a very long time. So let's get ways fresh reaction to this lineup for Friday night on rampage. It is Anna J versus Julia Hart. Hook against Ethan Page in a rematch for the FTW title. The acclaimed Angelo Parker and Matt Menard against four men to be announced. Mm-hmm. Darby Allen against Lee Moriarty. An announcement by Swerve and a sit-down between Jade Cargill and Taya Valkyrie. 
Maybe they'll be going to Discovery for the Road to Valhalla and Jaded maneuvers. Then, the next hour, it's Battle of the Belts 6, where it will be Orange Cassidy against Dralistico for the international title, Jade against Billy Starks, 18-year-old Billy Starks for the TBS title, and then the Lucha Brothers defending the ROH tag titles against Powerhouse Hobbs and QT Marshall. All right. This was the Battle of the Belts where it was just like, okay, here it is, okay? Yeah. It's, it's just really it's three no, matches. They don't even need to just slap Dream Match over all of them. <laughs> that would be funny. Main event, the Guns and FTR titles versus careers. The Guns come out to 50 Cent. I know that was a big surprise. Almost, I like, like their I like their theme. You mean their original one, but from yeah, before? Yeah, the one they were using pr- prior to this. But. I don't know if I I recognize it so much. No, came out to fifty cent here. Um, they were this almost control. threw me off. This almost almost told me, oh, they're invested in them. They must they must be keeping the titles. I'm sure that was the thinking. Hmm. They're in control of cash, and they're dragging him away from Dax. As soon as the picture and picture ends, Dax gets the hot tag. And he's in, he's trading covers with Austin. They hit a spike pile driver on Austin for a two count and then hit the shatter machine when Colton yanks the referee out and the crowd is pissed. Dax and Austin are trading covers and then Austin does a low blow right in front of referee Paul Turner. And then Paul Turner goes for the DQ, but Cash stops him from calling for the DQ. So they're trying to explain that like their careers are at stake. So I'm thinking if they had won by DQ, they still have to retire. Yeah, I didn't really understand that part either okay yeah it'd be like that that doesn't seem like a a logical fair ruling Mm -hmm. they win by dq and must retire well did they say if you don't win the titles they'll have to retire they must i guess but it was like that's a that's a pretty silly rule to have for the referee to have to make so anyway, there's the 310 to Yuma on cash. Colton then slides in the title. Turner grabs the belt and turns his back. So the other belt is sent in. And Dax does this jump off the top for this diving headbutt. And it, this was not a good belt shot. And it leads to a near fall. Dax gets the shoulder up, but the audience was red hot for this near fall. Dax avoids the 310 to Yuma. And Cash leaps off the top turnbuckle for a sunset onto Colton, while Dax does the same to Austin, pinning him in 1357 as FTR win the belts, save their careers. And for the second week in a row, we get a confetti celebration. They must have gotten a rate. And Mark Briscoe also comes out to celebrate with FTR, which I wish they had, like, 20 more seconds uh, to have that moment of Mark Briscoe in the ring with him. Because if you were, you might've missed it. It was so short and it was just like from the, the floor camera angle that you see him going into the ring. But I mean, they, they run these right till the end and mm-hmm. then we they have to get, get out of there. So yeah. I, I thought it was, um I thought it was a good match. The crowd was into it a lot. And I think that elevated it, but, but I didn't think that this for, for such a huge stipulation and some of the matches FTR has had, I didn't think it reached some of their, their higher levels that they have done on television. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but, but this crowd, like they, I, I said, they dipped a bit in the second hour. They were right back into it for this match. So, I mean, they were into it. Well, there are major stakes attached to this, you know, and they yeah. got a, a title change. Uh, I, I think I, I've I personally maybe been, you know, grading the, the guns on a bit of a curve when it comes to these maybe tag team title matches. Um, They're very good, but like they're very good for how long they've been in the spotlight, how long they've been in, in Colton's case, professional wrestling altogether. Um, but when you're talking about title matches 
in an AEW tag team division, it really is a different standard. And um, FTR can definitely bring the best out of anybody, but it, it's still, and I thought the guns probably looked the best that they have looked, but it's still maybe, you know, a big notch to know what we're used to with like FTR and the Briscoes or the Lucha Brothers or, or the Bucks. Um, but that said, like now that the titles are off of the guns, um, I, I think we can look back at their run and be able to at least say they didn't sink. Like I thought their presences have been pretty strong. I think their promos have been pretty strong. The in-ring quality has been acceptable, even though it's not, you know, to the standard of I, I, the, the teams I, I mentioned. But now that the titles are off of them, I hope this gives them an opportunity to really, really develop. I think they definitely got a huge boost with this small run. But now that the pressure's off of them, let's see if they can really grow so that, you know, two, three years from now, they become a real one of those, you know, the next FTR, like a very legitimate tag team. So if, if the pressure was on, I think it, it did well for them. Like mm-hmm. I, I think as personalities, they develop great. Like they're, they're a fine serviceable tag team. Like I don't think they embarrass themselves out there. Not at all. No. Like this is a very small window that they have had like be pretty much learning on national television. And yeah, like last week's promo, just setting up this match. Like they have really developed in uh, on that uh, side of things. And I think like they have, like, I like these guys. I think that they are, you know, they're still a work in progress, but they should be this young in their career. Like, starting from where they were a year ago when i think they were still very much a bit of a joke team like they've certainly i would say earned a lot of people's respect you know for what what they've been able to do um but yeah so ftr is staying in aw i think they're staying away they're staying okay all right well that was dynamite a an entertaining show. I think that they had a, a lot of stuff on the show. You had four title matches, your announcement, a debut. You had um, a pretty great crowd. And I I really think between the performances of MJF and Brian Danielson, I thought that those were kind of the, the, the standouts on the show. It was more so the non-wrestling for me that were the biggest highlights of this show. Yeah, I think Long Island shows are proving to be a pretty special occasion. You know, anytime you have MJF, of course, you know, in a big role, but also just for the atmosphere of the crowd. Anytime you're in New York, I think it's a pretty special occasion. And I thought this match or this show certainly provided it. You had more announcements coming out of this one than certainly Monday. Far better show than what you had on Monday. Um did it have like as many hot matches as maybe like some of the bigger dynamites this year? Maybe not, but I thought Riho versus Jamie Hader was really good. Um, and you got a big title change in the main event. Let's go to your super chats and feedback. Yeah, let's go to some super chats here. Thank you so much to Termenzer who sent $20. Thank you so Thank much. You. That's a huge super chat. Um, he says, I don't have the opportunity to contribute often. Thanks for what you guys do. Great dynamite tonight. Oh, well, thank you very much. We appreciate the support. Thank you so much, Terminzer. Appreciate it. We go to Steve Thomas, who sends five pounds to say, I cannot wait for All In. I also cannot believe it is in Wembley. This is massively ambitious. They will do well to sell 40,000 tickets, let alone 80,000. You know, if, if they sell 40, like that, that's that's a win. You know what I mean? It's like if they do that amount and, and and maybe that's like the goal. And who knows? Again, this is this is uncharted territory. And and maybe that's a realistic um, number to throw 40 at. And we've we've also had shows that have just blown us away with what the demand has been like. Go mm-hmm. back to that. 
double or nothing 2019 in Las Vegas and what the the ticket queue was like of what they could have sold. Like they could have filled a stadium with the demand for that show. Now, I'm not saying they're necessarily at that level, but this is the first time in the in their market. And maybe the demand is going to be gigantic for a first time AEW show. And they're not just coming for Dynamite. Like it is it's not just a big pay-per-view. It is their biggest show that they have ever run that they can credibly promote as their biggest pay-per-view ever Mm -hmm. let's go up next to richard lee who says after this i want to buy the big band mjf album yeah they're putting together quite the uh the itunes uh selections to put up of mjf i guess so yeah are they on itunes or you mean apple they should release these as like singles on itunes sure people wrestling fans would would buy the song i i thought it was great very well done the scatting, everything. Yeah. Cool. Let's go to uh, forum.postwrestling.com. We start off with Saeed from Vancouver. Glad to see Jay White in AEW, especially after all that talk that he could go to WWE. That MJF segment was definitely something. Who knew he can sing? I don't know what he means by something. It was, uh, it technically was something. Sammy was really fun uh, with another really fun match. The choice of cutting that promo in Long Island of all places was an interesting choice to say the least. Interested to see where this goes from here. Totally thought FTR would lose and go to ROH, but so happy to see them get the win. And uh, thanks us for our coverage over Mania Week. Well, thank you, Saeed. For thank listening. you, Saeed. Let's go to Super Chat that was just sent in here. This one from Matt, who says, thank you for the support, Matt. He says, what's the main event? What's a main event match you think could sell a ton of tickets for All In? Omega against Punk. That would probably be the biggest possible match they could make with two people that are currently under contract. At All In, the show yeah. we started. So if you don't have Punk? I mean, and that, then you're looking at, I mean, your available options. Will Ospreay versus Kenny Omega. Yeah, that's certainly, if you, yeah, that that would be something very, Maybe very Maybe a big. rubber match. That's possible. And, and that's assuming they, they do one at Forbidden Door. Um, but you know, a UK guy, Will Ospreay headlining a Wembley Stadium is pretty big. Yeah, um, you know what? As as I almost w- wonder. Yeah, you could do the rubber match, or you could save it. I mean, you have several big shows coming up. Yeah, that would be a that would be a great match that you could do for for that market. Hmm. What? Who else? Who else can we can we think about? Can who who are what are some other names you think could at least you know be in the role of a headlining bout? I think you're looking at your your options. Like I, I certainly would lean towards like uh, an Omega in, in some kind of role. If you're mm-hmm. if you're throwing Punk out of the mix, then you, you've got to figure MJF is into in something significant. Um, hmm. yeah, yeah, maybe. I, I actually I, I like the Omega Osprey option quite a lot. If you don't have Punk, sure. Like I would. You don't need that one for Forbidden Door. <laughs> so but. you save Punk for All Out the next week. <laughs> I, I would not. Yeah, it's 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 interesting if they that is very close a a plan to do. Oh, yeah, it it makes what about pay-per-view, though? Like, what time is this event? I imagine this is going to be in the afternoon for us. Like, I'm sure that this is going to be they they didn't attach a time to it, did they? They sent me a press release. No. Now, like, is there any concern, you think, you know, for uh, this show to potentially not as not do as good as an all in or sorry, all out in local time? And and would that give them more incentive to actually do it's a a consideration it's a consideration when you're the vast amount of your buys is coming from uh north america 
and and putting this on a Sunday afternoon as opposed to a Sunday night. So um, why don't they do Sunday? Out? Okay, so I guess yeah, you can't do because if you want to do a East Coast live, you'd have to do this late at night, which is impossible. Yeah, this would be starting at one in the morning at right. Wembley Stadium. Right. Okay. Which again, they they famously did do that for the the Michael Bisping Dan Henderson rematch in 2016, where the card started at 10 p.m. Eastern our time. The pay per view started, so that was 4 a.m. Um, 3 a.m. Uh, local time in uh, in England. Hmm. Okay, let's go up next to. Thank you so much, Matt Han, for that. Let's go up next to. Uh, I believe this is Jomo who says. Another amazing trios match. I feel like this was Chuck's first dynamite match in a long time. I like that they showed LFI to remind you of the division besides the elite. My favorite division in wrestling right now. I love how Jericho is never afraid to look scared or foolish. He sold Keith Lee amazingly. Sammy sounded great in his promo. He can come off as honest but still entitled, and he leans into the heel reaction really well here. I think he's heated up enough from his this that the four-way feels earned. I'd rather see that than any iteration of a singles match at this point. Riho matches always get over. That corner cover and foot on the rope was awesome. Jamie feels like she can't lose right now. Her and Mercedes at Forbidden Door is my vote. Where was Dark Order for Hangman? I don't know. Question. Maybe we'll, we will get that answer. Mark writes, I don't believe AEW was booking a show as a reaction to the last 72 hours. But man, everything about that show felt like AEW and Tony Khan was trying to make a statement. Debuting Jay White, FTR going over and essentially saying they're sticking around. And the insanity of the all-in announcement of Wembley Stadium. For the last while, plenty of people have been talking about AEW needing a mania-type event that stands out from their other shows. All-in, given the history of the show, definitely feels like that could be it. I definitely feel parallels to WWF in 1992. Just like in 92, the prospect of getting 80K to a stadium in North America was low for WWF. AEW is betting on the entire UK and beyond to come out in full force. And who knows, maybe they'll pull it off. Also interested to see how WB will be involved as they made sure to mention it was a celebration of their 100th year as well. Yeah, that was Hmm. included in the uh, Adam Cole bit as well. So uh, a tie-in there as well. Yeah, I mean, going to London, I mean, it's like you are going to get a lot of people traveling from around Europe for that, that show. So it's, it's going to be a very interesting day when the tickets go on sale, which is uh, in about a month from now. How would you celebrate the hundred year anniversary of Warner brothers with a wrestling match, like with a wrestling event? Um, You put your domestic television contract on a pole and if they (laughs) secure it, they get uh, a two X increase. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. Um, let's go to Brian from New Jersey who says this was a good week as any for AEW to deliver a hot show with Rob being as dull and troubled as it was. And I thought Dynamite hit it out of the park. Very good trios title and women's title matches. A lot of strong promos and getting the table for new slash returning acts. Be it Jay White joining Juice Robinson, Brian Danielson's new attitude, or Christian Cage returning from hell with a possibly evolved Luchasaurus. Good drama to the main event. Glad to know the top guys are sticking around. Muggen writes, it's a bold choice to take all into Wembley Stadium, and it should be a real test of AEW's appeal across the pond. Does that mean all all out is off the calendar? And uh, for MJF got to play hometown hero. Jamie Hayter versus Rio was damn good, and the outcome of FTR and the Guns was never in doubt, and Jay White had a stunning debut. The trio's tag match was dope. Up next to Matt from Peterborough, UK, currently in Costa Rica. 
in time to uh, so awake to appreciate the huge UK news. Huge announcement for the Wembley show, literally with it holding 80K. Massive bet by AEW, but assume many European-based fans will make the trip for it. Hopefully, they'll have a Mania weekend feel with other promotions holding shows that weekend, being just an hour train journey from London. I really hope so. I'll definitely try to drum up interest in my somewhat interest wrestling fans to attend jay white and aw is really cool but i do hope he gets the chance to move on from the switchblade character a wwe move promised that so maybe AEW could deliver it excursion jay white's wrestling style interested me so much more managed to catch a rev pro show not long before his new japan debut so hopefully he could tap back into that otherwise he may get lost in this in the shuffle of great talent all right, and our last word goes to Cody from Maine. That show was a blast. The Wembley News is genuinely exciting. If the feeling was that their Canadian debut in Toronto might have been able to do well at the Rogers Centre, one has to think this show will do tremendous business. If you haven't talked about it already, if you had to guess, what would the main event look like? Well, we did throw out our ideas, but let's see what yours are. Presuming MJF is still champion, is there a scenario where they could heat up someone like Pac enough for that title shot? Or do they avoid the home country approach like SummerSlam 92? I don't know about MJF and Pac uh, in, in the main event slot for that. Mm-hmm. I, um, uh, but but I would certainly see MJF being champion going into this show. Maybe, yeah. I I, I think it's a it's a it's a decent bet. Um, and and you know what? Like you, as long as you have a good enough looking card, it it doesn't necessarily demand MJF to be the sole person to you know draw the house, so to speak. Um, We're also going to know like. W- months before the first match is announced like what the demand is for this show like it's yes the the card will maybe sell tickets during that last month or so last six weeks but Mm -hmm. like tickets go on sale in a month and like that's how these things work it's like you get the big surge at the beginning and then hopefully you get a big surge at the end though a lot of AEW shows it's it's the beginning part that is their biggest impact but like if they sell forty thousand tickets on that first that first 24 hours, it's like you're, you're in pretty good shape as, as it is. Yeah. Um, just maybe wanted to point out somebody from the feedback actually commented that Anthony Bowens on his Twitter was asked, does this, does all in replace all out for this year? And at least Anthony Bowens has tweeted, no, this is all in the following week is all out. So, you know, take that for what you, what you will. All right. Well, thanks everyone for your feedback and for, tuning in tonight to rewind to dynamite we're back on thursday for post wrestling cafe members with our review of the art of wrestling from november of 2014 featuring cm punk on the show we will be diving into that entire interview six dollars to sign up it gives you access to all of our bonus shows and we've got three coming up over the next three days for you and as well you can subscribe at video.postwrestling.com to get video versions of all of our cafe content and way uh are you off to climb stairs tonight? What is What are the plans after this show? I might be listening to this podcast. The CM Punk one. I mean. Oh, okay. I thought you meant our podcast. It's no. like, you didn't miss anything. Do, I do that anyway. I listen to my own voice to go to sleep. Yes, of course. Well, on that note with CM Punk, it is time for Way to go to sleep.